You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Storybrooke. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. Welcome to Storybrooke Weekly Mirror in Hyperion Heights, the unofficial Once Upon a Time podcast, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. PoppyChulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, March 19th, 2018, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the ABC series, Once Upon a Time. Please welcome my co-hosts, Katie. Hi guys, hope you're doing well tonight. Jenna Pace. Hey, everyone. Heather Bishop. What's up, guys? How are you? How are you guys doing tonight? And Vinny Hatcher. Hola. All right, everyone. Let's jump into our recap of season seven, episode thirteen, which was titled "Nightfall" and aired March sixteenth, twenty eighteen. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Rogers strikes a deal with Eloise, despite Tilly's fair warning, while Ivy struggles to find herself after Victoria's death. Meanwhile, in a faraway realm, Hook confronts Captain Ahab over a legendary magical talisman which can free Alice, only to learn that his quest may have unintended consequences. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 7, Episode 13. Once Upon a Time was viewed by 2.55 million total viewers with a .5 in the demo. It added a handful of eyeballs while steady in the demo. So I want to get everyone's initial reaction to the episode. And since we have a full house, eeny, meeny, miny, Heather. So I really liked this episode, um, which, and maybe it's just because I, I was kind of a little bit disappointed in last week's episode, but I'm really excited to get to talk about some of the different um, incidents and points that I noticed throughout this one. But I, I really liked it, and um, I'm excited to talk about it tonight. Vinny, what about you? I'm kind of 50-50. I'm 50% meh, and 50% it was okay. I don't know. It just kind of, it was kind of like a, a mid-middle-of-the-line episode for me. Jenna Pace? I liked it, but I had some very complex feelings at times that I guess I'll get into when we get into it. All right, that's interesting. Jenna Pace did make a bold prediction of her rating on Facebook. So listeners, you can go to our like page to see that, and we'll see if it stays true to the end of uh, this podcast. Jenna? I guess we'll see. I, I guess yeah. we'll see. She did a spoiler alert, I'm just saying. 
It was fantastic. <laughs> Katie, what about you? I, I liked this episode. It wasn't one of my favorites, um, but I did like it for what was in it. Um, I'm always up for um, hook adventures. So it was enjoyable. We got to see Smee again, which was great. Um, there were a few things that I wasn't too keen on. Um, but all in all, I did enjoy it. And I feel like I definitely enjoyed it more than I did the last episode. So that's always a bonus, I guess. <laughs> well, there you go. I am the complete inverse of... Uh... Heather and Katie, I guess, because I really liked the last oh, episode. Wait, what'd you say, Katie? Oh snap! Oh, oh snap! Oh, <laughs> look at Katie with the the young people slang. No, let me stop. <laughs> oh snap! Is way old. Um, yeah, I, I really, really liked last week. I just thought this one was just okay. Uh, there were things that uh, I didn't really understand. Uh, like I, I didn't like Tilly at all in the present day stuff. I, I felt like she was too much and that storyline just was weird because of certain things that we know now of the characters and I, I guess I'll get into that when we fully discuss that one. The Regina stuff with Lucy was really good um, and the flashback I, I felt like we didn't really get much from it as far as storyline like some you know some of that stuff was just okay we got the answer to something though but um it was a long flashback just to get a teeny tiny answer at least in my opinion maybe maybe I'll learn some more vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, all of yours opinions on it maybe or maybe not who knows but before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of Once Upon a Time here's our announcer with a few special announcements Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. PoppyChuloRadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash PoppyChuloRadio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. <laughs> 
We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. All right, let's get into it, everybody. A quick shout-out to the opening title card, which, um, for some strange reason, featured the head of Ivy's doll in the O of Once Upon a Time, which you would have thought meant that it would be very important to the episode. Spoiler alert, it was not. (gasps) I know. It was not. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my yeah, it was not important, so I was <laughs> perturbed and confused. Um, anyway, let's go to the past in the magical forest, as we're calling it, and we see a young Alice who is trapped in the tower, having a nightmare, basically that the witch, a.k.a. Mother Gothel, will come for her. But um, she wakes up, and her Papa Hook is there to comfort her, and uh, basically, uh, Hook is like, I am going to find out how to get you out of here. I have heard of something, but it's very perilous, and, and I don't know if, if it'll be able to happen, but I'm going to go make it happen. And so, before he leaves, they end up uh, taking a pair of chess pieces. Alice is given the White Knight, and uh, Hook is given the black rook and uh, that you know this is where this originated and so uh, he goes off to see a jailed wish rumpelstiltskin i'm guessing is is this is that what everyone else is assuming that that's wish rumpelstiltskin yeah, yeah. it better that's be. what i thought yeah, because they actually said at one point in the Wish Realm that the evil never really succeeded, and that I think they mentioned he was still imprisoned. Okay, so it's Wish Rumple, because we could also go the route that this is Magical Forest Rumple, but I don't think there is a Rumple in the Magical Forest. It's just that whole bleeding of those two realms that can be a little confusing sometimes. So this is Wish Rumple, and uh, they basically strike up a deal. If. Uh, the the whole deal is is that Wish Rumple will be freed by Wish Hook. Wish Hook will set aside his vendetta. He's all about saving his daughter now, and so who cares about killing the crocodile? He will actually set the crocodile free if uh, Rumple can help him. And so Rumple fills him in on uh, Maui's fish hook that can basically break. Uh, through any type of spell that uh, I guess has to deal with uh, someone being trapped. And so, unfortunately for Wishhook, it is in the hands of another pirate, and that pirate is Captain Ahab, Peg Leganol. And so, uh, Ahab. Uh, ends up, um, you know, having a conversation with Hook. They get into piratey type of stuff. And uh, they, instead of um, fighting, because Ahab was all about, you know, pirates, uh, they, they have to, like, compete for uh, possession of their treasures. Uh, Hook decides to play a game of uh, dice with him. And the winner would get uh, the Jolly Roger and the Fish Hook. So uh, they play, and Hook won. 
So yay, he's got the fish hook, and Ahab basically uh, taunts Wishhook that he's gone soft, that he isn't the pirate with the killer instinct, and all this kind of thing. So uh, let's pause right here because I want to discuss uh, Wish Rumple, who is extra juicy, woo, and uh, Wishhook, as well as the introduction of Captain Ahab. Jenna, what did you think of uh, the storyline so far in the Magical Forest? Okay, or in well, the Wish Realm? I'm very confused. That's exactly where we are, to be quite honest. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm just kind of under the assumption that there's just... That Wishhook is just able to get magical beans as he sees, because it seems like he just kind of is able to travel realms at will. But in any event... Um, so this is the scene where I, the complexities that I talked about came in. Because I feel like this kind of is the moment where both some of the coolest things happen and some of the weirdest things happen. And it really all comes back to that rumple hook scene. And and I will say, I love I love it. I think Robert's acting is amazing, Colin's acting is amazing. I think it sets a really cool tone for the story and all that. But at the same time, taking the rest of the episode in, it's a little odd. And here's what I mean. Um, for what for Killian to go to the crocodile and just have no malice and forgive him and all that, it's already, it's, like, interesting to swallow, and you can kind of get, like, maybe he has kind of gone soft in some ways, but it just feels, it feels weird to me that, for one thing, this plan has, like, a million ways that it can go wrong before Ahab even jumps into it, like... How do you know Rumpel still doesn't hate you and won't kill you and Alice the mo the moment he's free? I just feel like like Hook is kind of giving him a lot of liberties with it in some ways, and then and and then just the fact that he and I'll give it the benefit of the doubt and say you know what their grudges have cooled down a lot because of family and all that, so Rumpel's not gonna do anything. But then he gets even. This kind of goes a little bit later, but he kind of gives in to this other pirate, this know-nothing pirate who he just beat, sh shamed, and nobody would know the truth of through truth of the matter one way or the other because they're going off of this jealous pirate's thoughts. So to me, it's, it's a complicated thing because I like the idea of Wishhook being the of, of Wishhook taking this route being, letting himself be vulnerable, but in some ways it's just like, when you take the rest of the story into consideration, it's a little odd. Um, also, I, it was very interesting that they opened up with that dream sequence. Uh, we, it, it definitely allowed us to get a snapshot of Wishhook and Alice's life together, and it still didn't, like, spoil the climax of, like, when he's actually, when things actually go wrong. So yeah, that was cool, and then the, and then it was just great to see the comforting after the nightmare, and I guess kind of how that also, Alice sees the world in special ways. That kind of how that kind of factors into Tilly. So yeah, my feelings for this moment are very complex because while I really like, well, I really like these moments. Kind of taking the rest of the episode into consideration, it feels a little weird that. Wishhook will be, Wishhook will show Rumple these vulnerabilities and stuff, will show this weakness, will 
give up everything in a heartbeat and just kind of let him have this win. But then later in the episode, this know-nothing pirate gets him on just, just with, like, mocking talk. And he doesn't even have, like, a Marty McFly impulse when people call him chicken. It's just... It really doesn't paint Wishhook in the best light, and I get that he's—I get that he's cocky and he has a reputation, but it's never been played to this degree. So, there you go. See, that's interesting. See, I didn't mind uh, what we saw as far as like story-wise, because to me, it sort of made sense that after all this time with Alice, that his whole perspective of things and life and what he had been involved in would have changed so i didn't see it weird for him to sort of basically squash his beef with the crocodile in his time of need and it also didn't make um it didn't uh, seem false for him to want to still be seen as like the tough pirate especially when you have a rival, a fellow pirate, um, you know, basically bullying you, saying that, you know, you've gone soft, you are no longer the most feared pirate and that kind of thing. So I, I bought it for a story purpose. Uh, it, it just, for me, it, it was just a long segue uh, uh, that, you know, basically we only got a little bit of new intel, or at least, you know, we got certain things explained that, uh, for me, might have been better served in just exposition. I don't know if I necessarily needed to see this flashback for uh, the greater purpose of the story, to be quite honest. But, um, Heather, what about you? What did you think of the flashback up to this point? I actually am on the same page as you are, Jeff. I didn't really mind the fact that Wishhook was okay with allowing his revenge to be swept under, you know, to get rid of that need to uh, for revenge, just because I feel like they really covered that fairly well um, in, in the episode where we see Alice born. So I was okay with that, that portion of it. I do have problems with Wishrumple still being in the cell. Because, which, and I guess if it's Wish Realm versus actual Enchanted Forest, there may be differences there. And I know that he was at, that we, we, we know he was still in the dungeon in whenever Regina went over in the last episodes uh, where we dealt with the Wish Realm in season six. But didn't in the Enchanted Forest, let me ask you guys this, in the Enchanted Forest, didn't he have the squid ink to where he could get out of the dungeon at any point that he wanted to? He might not have that. That was a plot point, right? True. There was Squid Ink, Mm -hmm. yeah, I remember that. I don't think he had any of that in in the Wish Realm. So my assumption is is that because he was uh, extra juicy and extra loopy (laughs) and extra extra, my guess Mm -hmm. is that he had been trapped there longer. So the madness was... uh, it was a lot. It was very well acted by Robert Carlo because his whole yeah, personification yeah, was, was yeah. very different than the Rumple that we've seen. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that um, on, on those points. I, I was just wondering about that, if it, maybe there's a difference between um, the Wish Realm and the Enchanted Forest. So, um, But I, I really enjoyed uh, 
these scenes, and I have less of a problem with these. I do have a few problems with a couple of scenes later on that I, I do want to talk about, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, I'm actually really interested in Alice and the nightmare that she had because I have a crackpot theory that's coming up later, but I'll hang on to it for now. All um, right. I'm excited <laughs> to hear it. Yes. You, sh- you should be. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. But um, I, I want to know if Alice is... Does she have some kind of seeing abilities, or is that just um, is that just her in relation to the witch, or is there something going on there? I found that very interesting, and oh gosh, I had another point, and I just completely and totally lost it. I liked this. Se- I-, I liked this section. I didn't like Ahab very much though, because I, number one, he was a little bit of a jerk, and I, I'm like Jenna. I don't really buy into the whole n- new hook, wish hook. Um, just automatically jumping into, well, you've insulted my honor, so I'm going to, you know, go down that path. And it was just, it was a very odd, it was very odd with Wishhook, and I'm going to agree with Jenna on that, but I was okay with these scenes as far as they go. So I liked them. So continuing on with the story, Wishhook basically, uh, you know, to sort of uh, prove uh, that he's the big bad pirate, you know, once he acquires the fishhook, is basically like, you know, I'm going to use this to vanquish the crocodile once and for all. And so he heads back to Rumpelcell, and uh, he's basically ready to to free him, you know, as part of their deal, but Ahab has followed, and, you know, there's a war of the words, you know, see, you are soft, no, I'm not soft, and, you know, they basically end up um, deciding to have a duel, to sort of prove, uh, you know, quien es mas macho, and so they have a duel in the morning, they have their pistols, that whole type of thing, they turn, and they shoot, and uh, they both get hit, although uh, Wishhook sort of gets um, grazed by the bullet. But uh, Ahab's is lethal, right? He's going to die, right? Yeah, it was a fatal wound. That's okay. what I got. Being there you that go. He might survive. Oh, probably not. And so, <laughs> hopefully not. And so, once all of this happens... Like, Wishhook sort of realizes, like, what the hell am I doing? This isn't important. The most important thing is Alice. And so he rushes back to the tower, and when he arrives, things take a turn for the worse. Because uh, Gothel ends up poofing there, and uh, she uh, basically reveals... That because Wishhook went on his little pirate adventure, that um, she had poisoned the bullet that grazed him or nicked him, and it hit him just enough, or it went through his flesh just enough to poison him with uh, the um, the curse of the poisoned heart, and so now Alice and Wishhook can never be together. They will forever be uh, apart because, as we've seen in the past, you know, people that have this curse, when they approach each other, um, you know, bad things happen, basically. And so, uh, Gothel ends up poofing uh, 
Wishhook out of the tower. She taunts him by basically telling him, you know, now you'll never be with her and you'll never be able to set her free. And you should just go to the local tavern and, um, you know, basically drink away your pain. And she also takes away Maui's fishhook. And then we're left to hear Alice screaming from the tower for her papa. So, Vinny. Talk to me about uh, the rest of this storyline. What did you think of, uh, I guess, Wishhook's realization, the whole duel with Ahab, and then uh, Mother knowing best? Mother knows best. <laughs> you know, up until <laughs> the very end in the tower, you know, when he found out the curse was there and he got poofed out. The end of that arc was pretty much the only part of the arc, except for like everyone else, the very beginning that I liked because it just, I, I didn't connect with the change in the character and the easy falling for the trap thing. Like this is a guy who, you know, and come, and this ties into how I think about the end, you know, this is a guy that remember he lived his life already. He was in his like sixties or late fifties before he was transformed back into young him. So he lived, um, or maybe I'm wrong. This hadn't happened yet. No, I just realized my, my train of thought was, yeah, wrong no, that had not he, happened yeah, yet. It hadn't yet. He okay, goes but, to, this is what sets him off in that direction. That's right. Yes. Um, I remember cause I realized that last night too. I don't even know why I started saying that. So strike that off the record. <laughs> um, in and of itself, like the reason that I like this was because this dropped a very interesting insight into what the hell is Gothel up to because they have been dropping breadcrumbs this entire time that she is seeking someone. And at one point she revealed that she had looked for the guardian as well. So I am led to believe that the reason that she tested hook, cause that's what it was. Cause I think she actually comments that, you know, she believed that he was going to fall for his old ways and give into it. And he proved her right. So I think that this was another one of her tests in her search for the guardian for whatever reason she's searching and he failed her. So it makes me look at this whole trapping Alice in the tower thing, not so much as Gothel just being selfish and wanting to get out, but even that was part of her plan by trapping, you know, by seducing this man, getting a daughter that she traps in a tower that he can't be with. He continues to fight to see her. You know, she's testing him over this time to see if he lives up to her expectations. And ultimately, just as she was afraid he would, he failed her. So there's something larger going on here. And that's what I really loved about this scene. Um, the acting between the young Alice and Hook, I really, I've enjoyed that every flashback that we've had because I think that the, the young girl is a very excellent choice for a young version of Alice, uh, Tilly. She has kind of like that wounded animal type of, you know, cu not cuteness, but you know what I mean. You know, like you want to protect them just like Tilly does in the modern time, you know, when she's confused and going in and out of thought. Uh, so I thought that was a really awesome dynamic between the two of them. I loved Gothel as she's just, she's titillating. You know, she she keeps doing these things, and every time that you think you're onto what she's doing, a new development comes. And I, I to this day still don't fully know what she's planning and what she's out there for. So, with if it hadn't had that little hint hinting at her larger plan, I probably would have given this a meh as well, uh, because I really feel like. I'd rather have had that story if there wasn't that reveal in the episode where we get more of Tilly's backstory. Because when it first started, I felt like it was kind of haphazardly paced to be in this episode when we know there's a Tilly-centric episode coming up. Next. But when they 
Yes. And so I liked it, and I'm, I'm curious to see, again, just what kind of investment Gothel actually has here and what this long-term test, putting Hook through hell and Alice as well, really does, you know, how, why she did it and what she's, you know, trying to do overall. Uh, Ahab, eh, I, I didn't like him. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, when he showed up at the cave, I, it just, I don't know. I, I, I really, if Hook was going to fall off the wagon, I feel like it would be like someone going from being polite and nice to going into a homicidal rage. I don't think that someone who had been off on the wagon for so long would just still maintain that control, if you know what I mean. Like, I feel it would be more drastic, and I, I agree. I don't think it would have just been some, like, needling. I think it would have had to have been something like, oh, I'm going to kidnap your daughter if you free her, or, you know, something like that, not just saying her name. So mm-hmm. it just kind of fell flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I loved Rumple. I, I will just say that I, I love Wumple, as I'm calling him. Wish Rumple. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, he, his, his juiciness woo, woo, was, woo. It, it was like 100% juice, Thank not you, from Jenna. concentrate. <laughs> the desperation was definitely there. Like you could, I knew in a split second, the first time that he went to him, that this was a different Rumple than who we were used to because this rumple was desperate he was like desperately seeking susan except he was desperately seeking freedom and his demeanor was just slightly different and lacking the confidence that our rumple always has he had that like his hands were kind of shaking a little bit and he was like clutching the bars like desperately like saying like get me out without saying it so he was a real highlight of that section for me yeah totally and ex- and it explains uh why we saw a juicy rumple earlier in the season. So that was kind of awesome to get that explanation. Katie, what about you? Your thoughts on the overall uh, flashback as well as sort of like the uh, conclusion to the flashback, everything that happened with Gothel at the end. I did like the flashback. Um, The Ahab part of it was a little bit like, Eh, I don't know if this adds, you know, a whole lot to the story or whatever. Um, he was just kind of, he was an annoying character. And I was like, would you just go away? Like, what is, what is your right. problem? It was like <laughs> high was, school. I know. Yeah. He's <laughs> coming out of nowhere, like, picking a fight with him. I'm like, what is your, go away. Um, but, you know, besides for that. I did like the flashback. I especially liked seeing Hook with um, young Alice. Um, it just shows you, you know, um, it shows you that, you know, he, how much time has passed because one of the last times that we saw them together was when she was a baby. And to think that she's been in this tower, you know, they've been in this tower that long it shows you why he's so desperate and what he's willing to do to get her out. Um, so, you know, it was kind of nice to see those little flashbacks um, to them together and to see their relationship a little bit, which was fun. Um, and then to have that parallel to um, the Hyperion Heights where, you know, he does not, they don't know who they are. Um and she's all grown up now. Um, it's just very interesting to see those comparisons. Um, 
I think the Vinny said everything I would have said about Gothel as well. Um, but just to touch on Rumpel a little bit, I really liked the portions with Rumpel specifically because we haven't seen Robert Carlyle in that detailed of makeup um, like like he was in the first season of Once Upon a Time or even the pilot episode. We have not seen him like that in so long. So it was really fun to kind of dig back to... We saw um, him once earlier this season. Once yeah, earlier, briefly. but I feel like the makeup just wasn't the quality that it was in this episode specifically. Oh, okay. I don't know why. Extra juicy. Woo-woo. Yeah, he, he really was. Um, and I really Yeah, I don't know. That. Is this a fact, Katie? You might know. Is it true mm-hmm. that Robert really doesn't like the makeup and that's sort of why? Or is that just kind of like an internet rumor? Um, does anyone know for sure? Because I don't. I'm Googling. Yeah, I feel like he didn't. I feel like he said that he didn't like it. Um, but, you know, that could very well be an internet rumor that everyone has taken to be truth. He also well, wears I mean, a we, lot of makeup in his other roles, too. Like, and we also, true. If, if you consider it, I mean, he's got to have his head and his neck and any mm-hmm. visible appendages covered. So I can't yeah. find anything on here. But, I mean, just from, like, when I would watch documentaries and, like, you know, when Robert Englund did Freddy Krueger, you know, sitting in the makeup chair for hours for that. I, yeah. I, I probably would think that, you know, they they probably wanted to give him a break because before yeah. this, we were kind of, like, on a juicy overload for a few seasons and mm-hmm. flashbacks. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. true. Mm-hmm. And if you think exactly. about it, they stopped. And maybe that's where the rumor started. I feel like a former mm-hmm. co-host like referenced it once, and I always felt like that might be true. So well, who knows if it's true if they or not. Did. We yeah. used to have... Now when it happens, we're all really, really excited, you know, because... Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, yes. it, it's like this it. season is vegan rumple. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> He's exactly. the vegan dark one. <laughs> exactly. Oh. And I think that definitely, like, put it in words because I really liked seeing him that way again. Cause it's, I feel like it's been so long. It really um, has. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of nice to see that again. Um, and to see him and you were, you guys are so right. He was acting, you know, slightly differently to what we've seen before. So, you know, yet again, he's acting out another version of his character but he does put enough of a twist on it that you can tell the difference um which is really neat uh his scenes were just fantastic robert carlyle is a fantastic actor and you know no matter how i feel about his character in the show i love robert carlyle for the work that he does um so i really did appreciate the scenes with him and um wish hook i guess you can say because they play really well off of each other and um they were good scenes so i really did like the flashback ahab annoyed me but um i did like the scenes with um alice and hook and rumple and hook so that was kind of that was nice you know what kind of bothered me the most about ahab (laughs) and this is something i've commented on before but i think it was just I'm one of those people that, like, when I have a preconceived notion of what a character should look like, and they pick somebody, like, <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. 
to me, Ahab does not look like a rejected Backstreet Boy. And that's what this guy <laughs> looked like. You know? He looked like the ugly Carter brother in the makeup. When, when Not saying the actor's ugly, but like the, the way that they did his hair and, and the mm-hmm. beard and the clothes. It yeah. was just like, are you, are you salty because you didn't make like the pirate version of the Backstreet Boys? I, <laughs> I picture like grizzled, you know, like somebody more like grumpy than I do what mm-hmm. and I just he didn't exude confidence so when he was like insulting yeah, yeah it, it was kind of like you know someone like really really small going up to some big muscular bodyguard and like saying you're ugly yeah. <laughs> exactly no. yeah and the fact that he just like I don't know when he just like appeared out of nowhere in the cave and he's like right. we're gonna fight I was like what the heck the cave that I assume from? is in a different realm because they don't even label the realms anymore they just assume that we follow like, along somewhere far away I, wait, I think they were in the wish realm like the whole time for that mm-hmm. probably yeah. I don't, yeah probably. but the tower isn't in the wish realm right yeah it just has enough beans to go back and forth like you i think have no idea i've uh, i've gotten to the point to where i'm just going with the flow as well i've come yeah, up yeah, with a solution like, that i'm okay with perfect. for the realm traveling what I just I, I like to think that all of the characters that we no longer see on the show regularly, like Blue, they took jobs on the new interdimensional portal expressway and they're toll collectors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, like that. Yes. That's good. That's good. I, I will I will go with that. Because <laughs> literally, like, it's so funny when you try to talk about this show to someone who used to watch it. You know, like my boyfriend, like I stopped telling him a lot of the things that happened because there was he's like my dose of reality because he'll be like, wait. <laughs> what the hell? Like, w- they're in what realm? Like, why are they here? How did they get there? And I'm just like, uh, magic? <laughs> magic! <laughs> I love that so much. So any final thoughts on the flashback before I ask a question and then we head into the present? It was nice to see Smee again. That's my final thought on that. Yes. Yes. I'm loving this I agree. I'm loving the bits of Smee we've been getting this season. It's... Mm-hmm. I'm glad that we have this moment of sme uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, very nice. I love how she struggled to get that out, though. That no, was, because uh... I, made a, I made a post this morning about a SME appreciation, and I made a pun for it, and I forgot the pun for a sec. Now, Jenna, Jenna you're... you're not supposed to forget your puns. If you're trying to interject something into a conversation, you have to make it seem natural and insert it smeely. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm done. Smooth. <laughs> that oh was God, good. You just don't resonate on my radar, Vinny, because it, guess what? It's all about Smee. <laughs> Aha! See? There you go. <laughs> You're so Smeelfish. I'm rather Smeelfy. That didn't work. <laughs> it really didn't. So you moving on. <laughs> good job, everybody, though. E for effort. Okay, so my question, after what all, like, that Vinny said, do we think Alice is the Guardian? Yeah. No. Yeah. I think there's, like, if I had to give it a mm. ratio, I'd say I'm 60-40, 60 in favor, but every time I see her, it's kind of like, it balances back and forth, because she came from half evil, half good, so she right off the bat, well... Hook was once upon a time mostly evil as well. So she's got this very mm-hmm. conflicted background. And because her mother is this like super like energizer bunny of a nasty witch, 
I find I'll be very hard pressed to believe she doesn't have any kind of magic power. And I don't know, with all the tragedies she's gone through, it kind of feels like that's what they're setting it up for. Because I, I think the know. only option that we have besides her is Anastasia. I thought we'd already hmm. determined that Anastasia, or whatever her name is, was the Guardian. I don't know if that is officially confirmed. I feel like Rumpel is under the assumption, and I feel like Victoria was under the assumption as well. But just because you assume doesn't necessarily but mean... They haven't confirmed it, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, okay. It, it's we're, we're given the perspective of Rumpel and Victoria, like Anastasia has this power. And I think Rumpel started to think it, and it was kind of potentially... Because I don't think they'd be that obvious about it, because if she is the Guardian in the episode when they're in the police station, and she does that carry moment and like propels Victoria and Gothel, or whoever it was, across the room, I think that would be too obvious. Uh, but we were definitely set up to believe that she could be, so I think they're trying to keep us on our toes. Okay, but then how does she have magic in the land without magic? Well, she was also <laughs> teetering between life and death. So... The resurrections? No, no, no. Wait, she wasn't brought back by the resurrection. She was brought back by stone amulets. Fever. That's right. So might have some magic in it. They, I think they commented on something how magic was instilled by Gothel into Anastasia's body to keep her on the bridge between life and death. So she was in that stasis when they, when she was brought into our realm, and it kind of goes back to when we talked about Gothel being able to even at all manipulate that little bush when she was trying. So there are traces of magic, but it's it's like a dried out well. So I think Anastasia, because it was stored in her somehow. They didn't really explain how it carried over, but it did because that's what kept her alive. Shout out to Gothel's Bush. <laughs> <laughs> that just correlates right when I when I can compare to her dancing on a pole, you know. Yes. All right. I like how we're back. making her a stripper. Let's get into present day Hyperion Heights and let's tackle the big storyline first because I feel like we all have opinions. So, okay, so Tilly shows up at the police station and um, she wants to play checkers with Rogers. And she basically has a bit of a warning to give uh, Rogers that something's going to happen. Something bad, basically. And so she is like, uh, you know, whisked away or she's shooed away. And uh, Rogers and Weaver are discussing what's going on uh, with the cult. And they feel like Eloise is going to have important answers, or at least they might, that the answers might steer them in the direction of uh, the killer. So Eloise shows up at the uh, right time, and she agrees to be questioned, but only by Rogers. And uh, even though Weaver doesn't agree, he allows it. So uh, the interrogation turns into mind games, even though Rogers, you know, told Weaver, you know, I'm not going to fall for any of the games. But Eloise is is basically trying to gather information from Rogers. And she basically ends up telling him that, you know, you need to know your true self, you know, so that you can understand everything that's going on. And so while they're going back and forth, Tilly is concerned for Rogers and, and um, 
you know, especially when he leaves the room and uh, she sees that uh, Eloise ends up knowing that Tilly is there and waves hello to her. And so Rogers continues to sort of um, go along with what Eloise is asking. Eloise had noticed a little sketch in uh, Rogers' notepad of uh, a uh, ship. And so she asks him to bring over, like, the, the most, uh, his most important, or his most beloved, cherished painting. And he does, and uh, Eloise explains that much like Rogers, the killer is trying to fill a void. And so, um, she tells him that the killer has been giving uh, their victim a heart-shaped box of um, chocolate-covered marzipan truffles and to follow basically the, um, the truffles. And so uh, they do and they arrive at, uh, I believe it was like a flower shop, but it was a dead end because uh, the the person that the box was sent for uh, is no longer alive. Anyway, died many years ago. And so uh, Weaver's like, maybe this was a trap from Eloise. Maybe this was a trap from the killer. Maybe the killer is somehow using Eloise uh, without her knowledge. And, and so... They're like, we need to go check on the most recent person, which was the blind baker. And so they head on to the hospital and they stumble upon the blind baker's dead body. Blood is everywhere. Tilly is there with a bloody scalpel. She's like, I tried to warn all of you that bad things were going to happen. You should have just focused on her. If, if you would have focused on her, bad things would not have happened. And so Tilly ends up escaping from the window in the hospital. And as Rogers and Weaver, you know, they're trying to find Tilly, they go to her um, boxcar, which she lives in, and they stumble upon some evidence that points to Tilly having some sort of vendetta against the cult. It's the, um, the, the symbol of the cult with two um, X's over two of the spokes, the two red X's, uh, bloody X's over the spokes. And uh, Weaver ends up giving some intel, which is important for us. Uh, he basically says that uh, Tilly ran in with the cult in the past and they had done something to someone she cares about and so maybe that's why Tilly has some sort of vendetta against the cult but uh, Rogers is like no it can't be Tilly this must be some sort of setup he can't believe it and Weaver's like it probably isn't Tilly either but uh, Weaver is going to go back to the station and uh, Rogers is going to go out and look for Tilly who uh, is um on the loose. So, let's break this whole thing down. I'm going to give everyone a chance to give their opinion because I feel like we all have different opinions on uh, this story. Let's start off with uh, Heather. What did you think of uh, the Tilly, Gothel, Weaver, Rogers storyline in Hyperion Heights? 
Okay, so this was, at the same time, it was my favorite storyline that we saw, but it was also the one that I had several, the most issues with. Um, and starting with, why does Gothel want Rogers awake? Because the way that she was talking and the way that she was pushing him, it, you know, in, in certain ways, it just seems to me like she wants him to be awake. Yeah, well, I don't know if, uh, if she wants him to be awake, but it, I thought that he was going to wake up. Like, I thought she was going to yeah. wake him yeah. up. I don't know if it necessarily mm -hmm. means that she really wanted him to be awake, but I felt like he was going to wake up. It was just so weird, like, the way that she was talking about, like, you need to know your true self so you can understand everything. And I was like, is he going to wake up at this moment? It just started off very weirdly. But continue on, yeah. Heather. Yeah, so that uh, that was a point that I, I really was focusing on because if, if she's trying to get him awake or whatever's happening, I, I don't understand the di I, I'm having trouble understanding the dynamic between Gothel, Rogers, and Tilly. Which now, if we go with Vinny's I, I, earlier idea about um, Tilly being the guardian, guardian, that's cool, and that actually adds a, 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 a layer of understanding to why that relationship is what it is and why Gothel is so insistent on messing with Rogers and Tilly. Um, but past, uh, move past that to my next point. Um, Tilly's relationship with Rogers in this episode really, I think, in my opinion, showed Rogers under the curse. And I think I mentioned... Um, not last pod, uh, the last podcast that I was present at, that it didn't feel like Rogers was cursed all the time. He felt like the same character he usually is. In this episode, it was prevalent. I was like, okay, he's he's under the curse. You can tell he's under the curse because he keeps dismissing Tilly, who's someone that he has uh, he has gone di gone a distance to try to establish a relationship with her, and he's just dismissing her offhand and trying to get her out of the station. He doesn't want to deal with her today, and the curse is working on him, and you can tell. So I really enjoyed seeing that as well. Um, and then I, I think I want to wait, because my crackpot theory is coming up about the whole, the last scene where Tilly is caught killing the blind baker. So I want to see what you guys have to say. So come back to me on that one. All right, For sure. we're going to get a hit of crack in a moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exciting. Uh, I guess I'll go next. I liked all of the Eloise stuff. I thought that was really interesting. I'm fascinated by this serial killer story just because it's a serial killer on Once Upon a Time. You know, is this Riverdale all of a sudden? This is fascinating to me, and, and it's working for me so far. The thing that rang very weird throughout the episode for me was Tilly. Tilly annoyed the fuck out of me. And yes. I like Tilly, but they just made her so spastic that it, it just... it didn't make any sense for why she was spazzing out. If they would have given us some sort of answer, I would have taken it and I, and I would have accepted it, but they didn't. And it was just really weird. Uh, and I didn't like anything that they did with Tilly in this episode. Uh, something that sort of rang false for me as well. If Rumple 
has like developed some sort of relationship with her i don't mean romantic people but you know it seems like they have some sort of kinship based on what we've seen of them like in the uh, magical forest and and especially the like the way he treats her here in hyperion heights i find it very weird that he hasn't woken her up it seems like all he has to do especially since victoria belfry has been dead for a week as we learned like she's no longer here and it seems like victoria wanted to keep her asleep or whatever for whatever reason um you know maybe because she's powerful and that kind of thing but why hasn't he woken her up like that would have solved a lot in this episode so that just rang false to me just it's weird i know that rumple has his own agenda and that kind of thing but because he did become like really friendly with her and i don't know maybe mentor mentee or whatever the hell ended up happening with them it just seems weird that he hasn't woken her up and i feel like that would have solved a lot of the issues for me at least because it just tilly didn't ring true in this episode and since you're agreeing with me Vinny, you can go next <laughs> so this was actually my least favorite part of the whole episode for some of the reasons you guys have already touched on tilly was annoying as all get out she definitely didn't ring true and it just seemed like completely off the wall how hook treated her so i and I don't know, I just, when I was watching it, this entire story arc here of, like, the serial killer, I love the idea of the killer going after the Coven of Eight. And what I was under the impression is that this killer is basically pissing Gothel off because they're screwing with her plans. But, and she could have been just, you know, putting up a front to make it seem like, you know, she's all kosher, but... Gothel didn't seem the least bit affected. Everything that she did seemed like an act. And at the same time, the, the personality that she presented to Rogers didn't make sense because every interaction they've had, she has played the wounded bird that's recovering from a traumatic experience. And now all of a sudden in this interaction, she's channeling her normal self almost. She's being evasive. She's being condescending. She you know, engages in verbal sparring with Weaver, you know, and so we see some of the real Gothel come out, and I don't think that Rogers has seen that before, but it didn't phase him. He didn't catch on to it. So he was totally clueless to this other side of her personality, this person that he helped rescue that was supposed to be traumatized is now admitting that she's part of this group of enlightened women, and that, you know, she's emitting this power that he hasn't encountered before and that didn't strike him at all weird he was still completely you know desperate to follow up on a clue and bring her the painting that had never been introduced anywhere before this episode that he painted in his cursed persona i don't think that's ever been mentioned that was just like out of left field like it felt like they just threw that in the episode i know we've used the term macguffin but we never really got any outside the police station or outside his job with Rogers this season. We've never seen his home. We've never seen really like a lot with him outside of his detective capacity. So to suddenly just bring in this like super private, super, you know, off the wall, I want to see your biggest painting. And that still didn't bother him 
this woman who is supposed to know like absolutely nothing about him other than what she's seen from him helping her knows that he paints and he you know weaver was kind of the voice of reason and and it really didn't i didn't like it i didn't think that he should have still gone along because yes there's a killer killing these witches but his only personal investment in this season has been an eloise gardner and he's trying to protect her but this person has just shown him her bitchy side I would have been more suspicious and not as inclined to work with her. So this didn't really, that whole section didn't ring true to me either. I just thought it was kind of forced and it didn't make a lot of sense other in the sense of, hey, we need to give an obvious plot device that's potentially in the next episode or two going to cause Rogers to wake up. Because I think that's what they're setting the painting up to be, like the Fisher-Price Guide to Amnesia Recovery. <laughs> yeah, I just I, it didn't leave a bad taste in my mouth. I was more confused than anything with all the character development we've seen this season. Rogers is suddenly starting to look like a Hardy boy as opposed to a seasoned detective, which he's I mean not a, a seasoned police officer, sorry. Uh my only other big thing was the scene in the nursing uh the hospital room. Alice had to crawl out a small window. In reality, they would have been able to run up and grab her by the tail of her coat, probably, before she got out. So I didn't like that at first until I realized that they let her get away. I think it was presented in a way that they were still in shock that she was there, but I'm choosing to take it that they didn't try to grab her because they were letting her get away. Because I think in reality, cops would have been at least able to get much closer to her before she was out the window. There you go. Just to counter what you mentioned about the painting, I didn't Mm -hmm. mind the painting just because, like, Eloise didn't say, like, I know you paint, this or the other. She noticed the sketch. Uh, We didn't see the conversation, but at least the way that I understood it, I'm going to assume that as they were talking about whatever or whatever, she was like, oh, so you sketch. And, And so he was like, he probably said, I also paint. And then that's where, you know, bring me your painting and that kind of thing. So I didn't mind it because I felt like it was the writers trying to show us that even though we haven't really seen any type of piratey type of thing from Rogers this season, besides, you know, his last name being Rogers and Jolly Rogers and that kind of thing, you know, it was that, um, you know, his, uh, his his not his curse but his non-cursed persona still was sort of like seeping through even if it's through drawings and paintings and that kind of thing so i didn't mind it touche all right let's see who is going to go next katie what about you wow i feel like i don't have that much more to add because i feel like you guys talked about a lot of what i would have said um i will say that um that scene where Alice or where Gothel looks at the camera and just waves at Alice, what scared the crap out of me. That was, that was full a really disclosure. Good scene. Katie doesn't do horror movies. So I do do horror <laughs> movies. I don't do. Gory I love. Oh movies. yeah. She doesn't do gory. I apologize. I Katie. do. She doesn't like the gore. thriller, you know, as long as there's no gore, it's good. <laughs> But there was no gore in that scene, so you were good. yeah, exactly. So it was really, it was really good. I I liked that um, just because it shows you just how aware Gothel is and how 
just evil she is. She has her own agenda, and she's so good at playing the board and at playing um, at playing the game that whatever game she's playing, she's really good at it. And um, you know, she can she knows some people know what she's up. To. What am I trying to say? She knows. That Use there are your people words, who Katie. know what she's up to, I know. And she also knows the people who she needs to still continue to play because they aren't aware of what she's up to. So she's she I I know there are a lot of people who I see complaining because they don't like Gothel, but I really like Gothel as um as the villain this um this season I guess because she is so good at playing the game and acting innocent when she needs to acting suspicious when she needs to um I just I love what they're doing with this whole mystery and the the coven and everything it's gonna be it's so interesting to watch it unfold and I feel like I still don't know what I mean we don't know what her ultimate goal is we don't know what's going to happen next so it's just so interesting to see it play out so um otherwise i will agree that i felt like alice was not acting like her normal self um in this episode she just seemed really off for some reason um and the fact that she just like jumped out of the window to get out of a situation that she wouldn't shouldn't she didn't want to be in uh, that seems really very relatable. in tune with that list, though. <laughs> We've seen her jumping from piltings before. Yeah, exactly. It's very relatable. Jump out of a window to get out of a situation that you don't want to be in. But um, she was, she was just interesting in this episode, and it'll be even more interesting to see where her character goes from here because she is going to be you know, wanted as a central figure to this, um, case, and now that they have this evidence against her, obviously that's going to have to come to the light, um, it's just going to be interesting to see it play out, so, um, yeah, I guess those are my thoughts. Yeah, as a fan of scary movies, and, uh, the gorier the better, at least for me, <laughs> I knew that Eloise was going to do something with the camera. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew it. I was expecting yeah. it. And when it happened, I felt very satisfied. <laughs> what I did like, though, even though I did not like Tilly at all in this episode, her reaction was perfect. Because she was like, wait, she's she's looking at me. Wait, she's waving at me. Wait, wait, wait. Did this bitch just wave at me? Wait, did no one else see? Wait, no one else saw? Like, really? No one else saw? Fuck my life. I'm going to leave. And then that was her. It was perfect. Like, her reaction was amazing. So, I will give Tilly props, even though you were annoying as fuck. Uh, Jenna, what about you? Any other thoughts on Tilly, Eloise, Rogers, and Weaver? Well, I agree a lot with what um, everybody said. Uh, I think Katie most specifically. Um, Tilly was really annoying this episode. I feel like she went off her pills, but I really wish they had said yeah. that. It would yeah, make that's what I felt like. kills. Well, and they would have um, gone after her if they if they thought that because they were so like, stay on your medication, stay on your medication, and mm -hmm. she was clearly not. And Eat I was really surprised. Exactly. Yeah, 
I just wish it had I was been confused because I was like, she's obviously off of her pills, and they're not doing anything about it. Either that, or she took bath salts. I mean, that's possible. Maybe she lo- maybe uh, <laughs> maybe Eloise stole her pills, and like this was a maybe cry she for took some of like, Heather's crack. I lost my pills. Help! <laughs> and that's what happened. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty so. Tilly was definitely set up. And I feel like whoever, you know, I feel like whoever is killing the witches, I feel like they're working with Gothel because, or Eloise, because Eloise just loves screwing Tilly over. Like, Eloise totally knew what she was doing when she did that wave wink thing. That evil little bitch. <laughs> That's your mother. Oh! Anyways, yeah, mother does not know best. Worst mother ever. Uh-oh. But yeah, um, literally. I'm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm convinced that whoever it was had magic or used magic in order to teleport her there with that scalpel in hand. Like, after the blood had already been done. Maybe, like, a, you know, like a reverse transformation spell. Um, but yeah, it was interesting seeing Rogers back on this hard-on detective mode. He hasn't really done that since the Eloise Gardner case. I guess it's interesting to see him kind of, like be really attached to something like he was really attached to the Eloise Gardner case and now he's really attached to Eloise Gardner again. I'm also with Vinny like it makes him seem a little dumb to just give in to Eloise Gardner so easily especially after in the last episode he was telling Rumpel how foolish he was for letting Eloise get out in the first place. Like this is a really odd thing where it's just like Rogers became incessantly prideful for this episode and I think that's kind of what it kind of what drew back to drew back for my difficulties with the flashback because they were trying to make it that Rogers has this big thing with his pride going on where that's really not a thing in any other episode or it's not the major thing so well pirates do have their pride they do but it's like as far as it goes with Hook it's not like his overly defining quality. It's not the biggest source of his hubris. It hasn't really been the biggest source of his of but hubris. But this is Rogers. So it's just kind of, it felt like that and being overly dismissive of Tilly when last time he was very concerned with her. Even like in episodes where she wasn't mentioned, he was like looking out for her. So, I don't know. Just felt It felt a little weird and Rogers, they, I felt like they made Rogers a little dumb um, one thing I wanted to point out that I came up with this morning about the scene where Rogers and Eloise are talking about the painting. I was thinking about why Eloise would, like, try to take him down from this angle. I feel like she's kind of scouting out how his friendship relationship with Tilly is going to kind of, like, see, are these two close at all to bring to breaking the curse? And she was just very excited to see, I don't have a special one. Is that what you wanted to hear? And she's like, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Your ass is still grass. I I just want to throw this randomly out there, but do you guys watch South Park? A little. (laughs) Because I I referenced the Hardy Boys, and you just said Detective Hard-On, so it just made me think of the episode with the Hardly Boys. (laughs) (laughs) And now I was just, for a moment, I was picturing Rogers and Weaver walking around like, I've got such a clue. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, she was asking about, like, I took it as, like, significant other, and he was like, I don't have anyone, as in, he doesn't have a significant other, so I don't know if that was in relation to Tilly, because obviously they're 
parent and child, so that... But here's the... Th I'm sorry, Jeff. But here's the thing, it's like, why would they bring so much attention to that not having a special someone when it's... I don't know, when when Rogers really hasn't been set up with anybody yet, unless they're, like, trying to entertain the angle of Rogers and Gothel romantically again, which I don't think they no, are No, I don't think right they're now. going that way either, but that just might have been, you know, I'm the mother of your child, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I'm fucking with I your mind you. type of thing, maybe. But that, like, kinda... that's... For me, that something special thing is such a wham line. It has to mean a little bit more than that. I almost kind of took her trying to find out or trying to get him awake as she needs Alice for something. And I, maybe she, to an extent, needs him for something, too. And this killer, I don't think it's working for Gothel. I think it's someone that's screwing up her plans. Um and she's trying to make sure that she's protected. And obviously, he's very going to be very protective of Tilly if he's awake. And if Tilly is Gothel's child, anyone going after Gothel could potentially want to end her line completely. So by waking him up, it's like, oh, I have a guard dog now for keeping Tilly safe until I'm ready to use her for whatever purpose. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah. So, before we get to Heather's crackpot theory, I do want to ask a question, and uh, I just want the answer to who you think it is. I don't want an explanation. So, I'm going to go through everyone. Who's the serial killer? And it's funny, because Adam and Eddie were like, we're going to find out the person soon, and I'm like, <laughs> we've had three episodes, like, you haven't told us, so when is soon? I'm very confused. Um, yeah, because they were like, you're going to find out sooner than you think. All right, I'll go first. I think it's Robin. Katie? Oh my gosh, I haven't even thought about this. Why are you doing this to me? Katie has no answer. <laughs> Jenna? Facilier. Heather? Ooh. Uh, that's part of my crackpot theory. So... Oh, okay. Well, then hold on a second. We'll get, Hang on. We'll get a I had a crackpot crack. theory, too, so <laughs> this is perfect. We all got crackpot Vinny, uh, serial killer? <laughs> One of the Coven, specifically, potentially, Madame Leota. Oh, I like that. All right. So, uh, uh, Katie, do you want to add or no? I'll take that as a no. I don't know. Heather, your crackpot theory. I feel like maybe Facilier. Maybe Facilier, but oh, I don't... Oh, you just cut and paste oh. that, Katie. What? You cut and paste it. <laughs> Heather, let's get into your crackpot theory. I just theory. that. All right. All right. Crackpot theory time. So what if I was sitting, I don't know when this came to me, but I was sitting around thinking about the episode. What if it's Gothel? Jenna actually talked about this a little mm -hmm. bit in hers. What if it is Gothel and that's, she's somehow connected to the serial killer. So we know that she wanted the cursed cast. We know that she wanted them in the land without magic for whatever reason she needed. What if that reason is so that she could start killing off different members of the coven that she doesn't want in the coven without with, and they would have no power. They would have no way to stop her because they wouldn't know who they are or who she was. And what if she's doing this out of the motive of these were the people who, when she, because back in the first episode after mid season finale, when we first came back, she was talking to Anastasia about how she knows how it is to be 
uh, young and to have people try to take advantage of you and to have um, people not know what to do with you as a young person with all this power. What if the people she wants to kill from the coven are the people that she would like to replace with, are the people that used her, manipulated her, whatever, when she was younger, and she's going in trying to replace them with other people like Madame Leota or maybe a few of the other witches who are in Storybrooke that we know of, but the only two other, other two that we know of right now are Regina and Zelina. So, I don't know. That was my crackpot theory. I'm down. I feel like I'm down with it. Mm-hmm. I My first... My first thought... I mean, when the murder started happening was, oh, it's got to be Gothel. So, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I could I mean, get with that. It's definitely not Tilly. Like, Tilly's being set up. Yeah. So. It kind of goes, like, it, it's in line with a lot of, like, my own and the reason that I came out of left field with Madame Leota because I was almost kind of thinking of maybe there's some way, like, if you remember how... Zelina was able to utilize magic in our world and disguise herself as Marion, even when she was, you know, out with them in the real world. Um, I was thinking that, you know, maybe Leota never actually got a real body, and the figure that we saw back in the new Enchanted Forest or whatever, when the, the Coven of the Eight was there with Gothel and Drizella, was just a body that she was possessing, and that potentially Leota could be body jumping. And... Alice was possessed by Leota when the murder happened and when these other murders have happened and that somehow Leota's body jumping and for whatever reason, whether it's she wants to piss off Gothel or they had a fight or she, she just likes being in this world where she's not trapped in a crystal ball or something. I just feel like the murderer is not Gothel herself and I'll be very surprised if it is, but I can listening to your point, I can easily see how that would also work. Like maybe she's also just trying to take all the power for herself and that's where the locks of hair come in. I've got a theory too. Woo, theory time. Okay, so I think that it's kind of okay, so I def- I said Facilier, but I think Facilier and Gothel are kind of working together because I think the coven can only do its thing that it wants to do when all the members are dead. The member, the other members don't know that Gothel knows, and Facilier has like spiritual magic. So once they're dead and on the other side, they can kind of he can kind of like do some magic with those spirits. Leota, they they had to like, I think they had to bring her back so that they could kill her because right now she was between the sides, and they couldn't just kill her while she was stuck in the middle. They had to like make her corporeal to kill her. So I think they gotta. I think that. They have to make sure all the... I think they're going to kill all the other witches. Then Gothel's going to kill herself. Then Facilier's going to be able to do his magic stuff. And then, like, whatever the Coven of Eight has planned. Because right now, we have so few members of the Coven of Eight. Because they keep killing people. So I'm kind of like, what are we going to do? We still have a, a lot of episodes and we don't know who these Coven members are. Or they're dying. So, But then I was thinking, what if that's the point? What if the point is... We're killing the Coven of Eight so that when they're dead, the big thing can finally happen, whatever that big thing is. Well, and that's interesting because Facilier has, like, if I'm correct, like Creole voodoo background. And traditional voodoo does, like, if you're trying to control someone or do a spell on them, it requires something from their body. Hmm. That's an interesting theory, Jenna. 
I don't yeah. dislike it, but I'm the only hiccup for me is the fact that obviously Regina was a part of the coven because she cast the thing, and I do feel like Facilier really cares about her, so I don't like I can't see Facilier being involved in something where Regina is might potentially be dead. So but that's the only the hiccup thing. for me in it. If I may, I think Facilier doesn't know that Regina's the eighth person. I think Gothel's keeping that from her. Gothel plans on finishing Regina off herself. And then once Facilier realizes, oh man, Regina's one of those people, he's gonna put he's gonna like put a stop to it and that's gonna be like his heel face turn. It's gonna be like a oh no, not my beloved, kinda like Dark Hook saga almost in a way. But yeah, I think I think that, you know, Gothel is not is definitely not above lying by any stretch of the imagination. So I can kinda like see Facilier going with it, but Gothel's definitely pulling some strings that he doesn't know about, and once he does know about them, that's where things are gonna turn. Alright, I can dig that for now. That seems really interesting. I kind of like it. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so let's move into... uh, Let's talk about... Hmm. Okay, let's do... Henry, Jacinda, and Ivy. So, um... Well, let me just do quick a little mention, because it was a teeny tiny scene. There was a great scene with uh, Ronnie doing the walk of shame. I loved it, and I was here for it. <laughs> wait, wait, can I say something? Yes. yes. Okay, yes. When, she, when she said that she was getting something from a supplier, I was like, oh, he supplied her all right. <laughs> supplied her demand. Oh, my friend made me watch that episode two and a half times, and every time we passed by that moment, I said that line. It's I love Jenna it. is a perv, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't deny it. All right. Facilitated her release. I know, right? I'd see what you did there. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, they both released, baby. I'm just saying. Yeah. Hopefully, multiples. They SME release. Never mind. No, there Multiple is no curses. SME in this. What the hell? Don't involve SME with them. It was not a threesome. Talk about a smear campaign, Jenna. That's the... Oh, no. <laughs> Jenna always trying to insert her SME in things. Oh, my God. Katie, Have cover your fun? ears. What? I said, Katie, cover your ears. All right. I so, <laughs> Jacinda... Well, there's like... Everyone has, like, their own opinion on what the hell is going on. Like, Henry is confused about what had happened. He explains it to Ronnie. He's like, you know, maybe Lucy doesn't like me. Jacinda is confused about the whole situation as well. You know, and and Lucy is like, you know, I I don't want you to see him. He isn't my favorite, you know, author anymore. And, um, you know, I I don't think that you... I, I Basically, I don't want him in our lives anymore. And Jacinda's very confused. And um, later on, Ivy ends up calling Henry, and he goes to the Belfry Towers, and Ivy is is going through all of the stuff with with her mom, and Henry ends up um, inspiring her, because Henry's like, you know, you do have family, you know, you have family out there 
that you should reach out to in your time of need because Ivy's trying to um, trying to uh, make out with Henry and Henry's pushing her off. And so he's like, go to your family. And so she does. She ends up taking some of uh, like, you know, things that uh, Victoria had of uh, Jacinda and uh, it seems as if, you know, even though this was a very rough kind of way, this was a way for Ivy to reach out. And uh, they do actually sh share a moment as sisters and they hug and embrace, you know, especially after the loss of Victoria. And uh, this is where the doll comes in. Um... Jacinda had one of, I guess, Ivy's dolls as a child, and, and so she gives it back to her, and there's a great little line of, you know, it feels like it was a whole other life, and Ivy's like, oh, if you only knew, and uh, Jacinda ends up inspiring Ivy, you know, after they sort of make up, and uh, Jacinda inspires Ivy to, I guess, continue on what Victoria was doing, and what did that mean? Continue on her evil stuff or, you know, the amends that she was making? And it turns out it's uh, the latter. So she returns to see Henry and basically asks for his help in finding her other sister, Anastasia. And uh, Ivy has this great line of, you know, you may not know this, Henry, but I feel like you have a hero inside you and I really need your help. So, let's talk about this. Henry, Jacinda, Lucy, and Ivy. Let's see. Let's start off with Vinny. So, as you all know, I've had a love-hate relationship with Jacinda this entire season. <laughs> like, I don't, I just, I didn't like her in this episode, except for, like, the brief moment she had with ivy slash drizella i just i i don't know i just it didn't i can't put my finger on it it's just one of those performances where it just didn't resonate with me and i think it's because she didn't have a lot of screen time and when she did she was kind of playing second flame to whoever was experiencing something like in the beginning it was lucy and then in the next one it was drizella so she was kind of a supporting actress this episode but i, I just didn't I don't know. She felt maybe underused, but also just, I, I, I don't know. I didn't like it and I can't explain it. Um, but I really liked Drizella in this episode uh, portion because, or Ivy, excuse me. We, we get to see the fallout that I was dying to see after her mother died and that like major love deuce was dropped on her, you know, where she's just like, I hated my mother my entire life. And I just found out that she loved me. Well, oh crap. What do you do after that? And I thought it was really nice that they showed the scene of her actually in Victoria's office, packing everything up. And it was right in line with the character to kiss Henry, to try and find like deflect her grief. And I thought that was definitely a good choice for the character because she's desperate right now. And she's always wanted love. And they had connected previously, and Henry suggesting, you know, hey, you have a family, go to them. I, I thought that was really, really cool, and that was, you know, little Henry Mills kind of shining through and being like the G.I. Joe message of the day at the end of the episode. Like, hey, family is important, kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I will say Lucy, Lucy annoyed me. I, I just, I don't know why. 
the scene with Jacinda in the beginning and the way that she just was like very poorly acting the lie out that I don't want you to see Henry again and just I could see the struggle and I like that being evident but it just there was something about her performance that kind of annoyed me um even at the end which we'll kind of get to a little bit as well um but I, I thought the line that like Jeff mentioned the line where you know it feels like a whole other world and Ivy just kind of drops her eyes looking at the doll and is like, you have no idea. It was really like you could feel the weight of everything this woman has done falling on the shoulders of the character. And it just, again, speaks to Adelaide's acting chops, similar to how Robert can, you know, portray that desperation earlier. Adelaide was able to, in that one little simple line and the way that she looked at the doll, communicate not only the fact that it was the whole world away, but it was all her fault part of it anyway you know a decent chunk of it and she's awake and she's dealing with the burden of everything she's done to these people so i i thought that was really really a good thing for her and i, I like that little part of it but overall i thought it was a a nice little segue from the other stories that we had going on and it was good to see development with uh that character jenna what about you well, I agree with what every, everything that Vinny said regarding Ivy and her development, but I disagree with everything uh, w- regarding Jacinda and Lucy. Bam. I really like. How I dare love, you? Oh, hey, I'm gonna <laughs> take you down. I'm Revenge of the Smear campaign. <laughs> Are we still Girl, going Oh, honey. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I really like the I I like the chemistry between um between um. Dania and Allison Fernandez. Well, uh, it kind of had a point where it didn't like work for me for a couple of episodes towards them in the middle of the season, but right now, over the past couple episodes, it's really been coming back. I really do feel their chemistry in this episode, like what they were capturing in the in the premiere of the season. Where I, I really feel the mother daughter connection, and I like how Jacinda's not fooled by what Lucy's by what Lucy's saying. Like, Lucy's making attempts to do things, but it's not, but it's definitely not working. So, it's just cute, and I really love the conversation between Jacinda and Ivy, where they're talking about the mother-daughter relationship. It's, I don't know, I, I feel Jacinda struggle a lot. It feels very real, it feels well-acted, it feels kind of heartbreaking although i don't understand why jacinda feels like lucy has a problem with her she seems to have a problem with henry not jacinda so that i found was a little odd but um but that's all i have to say about just about jacinda and lucy at least for now um i as i said before i'm really with Vinny on the thoughts on ivy and henry like ivy like ivy's response is very true to the intended emotional reaction that would come with the death. The um, as we went over it in the mid-season premiere, Victoria's death was very controversial in terms of getting the intended emotional response that they were hoping to get because people were like, "I didn't really feel for this. This wasn't developed enough for me to get that reaction." But I feel like if you can kind of swallow that then it makes it much then then you, this comes ac- then this is very powerful like if you can put that aside it's kind of like my feelings on rumple when beauty aired where it was like i didn't really buy rumple's redemption at the end of season 6 but if i did and like 
this episode kind of helps you feel what they're trying to make you feel. And given the feelings they're trying to have you have, this makes a lot of sense. So I like Ivy struggling with grief. I like Henry supporting the decision to go to her family, stepping away when, you know, he could tell that um, Ivy was kind of having this bad approach to her grief. And yeah, I I really like those interactions. This was a very interesting subplot for me. A nice little breath away from the main stuff going on with Hook, Rogers, Rumpel, Weaver, Tilly, Alice, Gothel, Eloise. So there's only a teeny tiny scene left. So I'm going to get into that and then I'm going to get everyone else's opinion on it as well as any final thoughts on uh, Hyperion Heights as a whole. So... Lucy ends up arriving at Ronnie's. There's this great line from Ronnie of, uh, you know, you better not, you know, let me lose my liquor license. And uh, she brings Ronnie the page with the passage on Henry dying if the curse is broken. And she shows it to Ronnie. And Lucy's like, I know you didn't believe me before. But, you know, I'm bringing this just in case, basically, you know, please believe me. And uh, Ronnie's like, well, things have changed. You know, I believe. And uh, Lucy brightens up and uh, basically Regina tells Lucy that they will find a way to save Henry. They will find a way to bring uh, happy endings and the happy ending to uh, both Henry and uh, Cinderella, and that they are Mills, and uh, they will do it the way the Mills always do, with uh, their own uh, Operation Codename, and they come up with Operation Hyacinth, based on uh, the flower that Henry had given uh, her mom. So, Katie... Break it down for me. What did you think of the final scene, as well as uh, it, just overall thoughts on the episode, if there was anything that you wanted to add to the whole uh, dynamic that was discussed prior to this moment? I really liked this last scene, uh, mainly because I've been looking forward to um, the scene where we would see Lucy reveal to Regina that she knows everything and that Regina would reveal to Lucy that she knows who she is. Um, I was just really looking forward to that in particular and we did finally get it and I loved it. It was so cute. It was just a little um, added on scene to the end where we kind of, it didn't have to be anything spectacular. It was just enough to show us that the plot's going to move on from here and they're going to be working together and I love that they gave um, they gave their mission and or their operation a name um, like Regina or like Henry used to do with Regina and with Emma. Um, it was it was a nice callback to the seasons before this um, and to show that she really is her father's daughter. Um, it was really cute and I liked the name that they picked um, specifically because it relates to her parents. Um, and I loved the little line where Regina was like, don't call me grandma. <laughs> it reminded me of when Henry tried to call Belle grandma, I think, 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. yeah, when you tried to call her grandma, and she's like, yeah, let's not do that. And we have that scene where Regina's like, please don't call me grandma. So, um, that was kind of fun. But, um, I really liked that scene in particular. I'm a huge fan of Lucy. I have been since, um, she first showed up on the screen. And so, to kind of see her interact with Regina, and now they both know that they're in on this together, um, it just helps move the plot forward and it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here, how they team up, what their, um, what their plan of action is. Um, so, uh, that's really, that's really the rest of what I had to say about the episode. Um, I did like it. It's a good episode. Um, but I'm more interested in the episodes to come in particular to see, how these breadcrumbs that they've been giving us are going to keep playing out. So, um, it was a good addition, but I feel like it didn't move the plot forward a whole lot. It did, but I feel like it was in in more subtle ways, sort of. So, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Heather, what about you? What did you think of the final scene, as well as, I don't know if you had anything else to add... As far as the uh, Henry, Jacinda, Ivy dynamic. Um, as far as the final scene goes, where uh, I really actually enjoyed that scene. Uh, I, I agree with Katie on the fact that it doesn't really move the, the plot point along anywhere. Um, but I, I enjoy seeing because um, I think halfway through, whenever um, Jacinda and Lucy were sitting on the bed talking to one another, and Lucy was telling Jacinda about how she didn't want Jacinda with Henry anymore, I was like, "Man, now that Lucy knows, I'm gonna need a Lucy and Ronnie team up." And by the end of the episode, I was like, "Okay, yes, thank you, Once Upon a Time writers," because I think that's um, very exciting. Um, and I'm excited to see what happens with that, just because Regina, or Ronnie, Regina is always really good with kids, so I'm pumped to see what happens with that. And I actually really enjoyed the scenes between Ivy, Henry, and Jacinda, especially between Ivy and Jacinda, because for the first time, I actually felt like they were sisters, you know? It felt real, and it felt like they had, they were two people who had actually shared a childhood, whereas prior to this moment, it just felt more like, they knew each other, they might have grown up together, they didn't feel like they were actually siblings, and in this episode, it was really nice to see that relationship between the two of them actually take that step up to sisters. So I was, I was, I was pleased with those, those scenes. And I will add my kudos to the final scene as well, I really liked it as well, I just I am so excited about uh, this uh, dynamic. We're going to get to see Lucy and Regina teaming up in Hyperion Heights, so I, I'm very excited about this plot point. So, any other final thoughts on uh, the episode as a whole before we move into the MVP? Alright, it's that time. Let's get into the MVP, the most valuable player. Which character impressed you the most and why? The rules are simple. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why, and if someone has already mentioned the character that you were going to choose, you must select a different one. 
Yes, no repeats. So that means that the power is in my hands right now. And we have our full team here. So that means definitely someone's MVP will be swiped out of uh, the, you know, their hands at this moment. And let's see, who's going to go first? Who has been the nicest to me? Definitely not the one with the puns. Let's go with Heather. Jerk. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so my MVP for this episode is Wish Rumple. It's not even Weaver, it's just Wish Rumple because those episodes, uh, those episodes, those scenes where they were down in the dungeons were some of my favorite. I don't, I don't think I even mentioned this back when we were talking about it, but they were some of my favorite that we have seen from Robert Carlyle since probably back on season one. It was awesome. It was really well done. And just, I don't know, it didn't even have that much implication on the episode itself. But just seeing that scene, it was fantastic. It was awesome. And I loved it. And sorry. Well, there you go. All right. So Wish Rumple is uh, out of commission. Although Weaver is still in commission, uh, just an FYI, if you liked Weaver a lot for some reason. So, no shade intended. Uh, let's see. Katie, your MVP and why? Ooh, okay. Well, I am going to go with Ivy because, and I also didn't really talk about this, but I really liked Ivy in this episode in particular to see her change from what her mother wanted her to be to try and mend pieces a little bit um i have loved ivy's or adelaide's performance as ivy um since the beginning and i know that we're coming up to we're coming very close to when she's going to be done on the show and um so it was kind of nice to see her be a little bit different in this episode to not be so vindictive so hateful um to see how she moves on from her mother's death and tries to be better um i just i really liked her scenes even though they there weren't that many it was just they were nice and i appreciated them all right Vinny, your mvp and why so Heather has good taste because I was going to choose Wumple, but <laughs> I had a backup plan, and it's Gothel. Yeah. Uh, I even though the plot advancement in this segment was like walking through mud, just the I touched on it in the beginning. I love the way that you know we dropped or a little bit was dropped that she's potentially you know she we're reminded she has a larger plan. This woman is the puppet master. Like she's literally got her hands on the little crosses holding the strings to everyone is dancing to and it's just constantly reinforced that she is in control and if she's not it doesn't seem that way like i really loved the little horror movie wave like you talked about earlier that was the only section that or part of that section that i really liked um but throughout the entire episode and this series gothel has remained consistent in her character being mysterious aloof and powerful and now we get further cementing all-knowing so she's constantly leaving me wanting to know like what are you up to bitch what are you doing what's going on and she just further dug her nails into me and made me want to know even more with this performance 
All right, all great choices. So, Wishrumple, Ivy, Mother Gothel, Jenna. Okay. I won't well, let you go last. I will let you go next. Who is your yeah. MVP? You're nice again. Okay, great. Okay, so all three of them kind of ended up stealing my plans, but you know what? I've got a choice as well, and it's something a little unique. And <laughs> that is Young Alice, and here's oh. why. It is really hard to find a really good kid actor. And I think the I think the young actress who they chose was fantastic. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about this, but the montage during the duel was one of the most heartbreaking and heartwarming scenes mm-hmm. ever. And despite like my weird reaction to this episode, it's one of my it's one of the high po- this is like one of the high point scenes of the series. And sometimes that'll happen with episodes that kind of affect me oddly. Like my favorite scene my favorite scene of the entire series is from Heart of Gold, which is an episode I really didn't even like. But anyways, um this act that act in that scene, she had to communicate so much, so much love, so much attention, so much vulnerability and childhood fun into a non-speaking role, non-speaking moments, and she does it brilliantly. And when she does speak, it's um I believe Vinny said earlier, it's like a wounded animal. Well, she's like a wounded animal. You feel so bad for her, but you also feel that she's loved. Her her chemistry with Colin is just out of this world. That scene in the bedroom, you feel it. You feel those years together. You feel that pain. You feel yeah, you feel the pain like when she hears that her father didn't come immediately back. But you also but though as she's screaming for her papa to come save me, save me, papa my heart it, it feels like it's being crushed. It's ripped out of my chest and crushed, but kind of in the best way possible. So young Alice. I love that little girl. All interesting choices. I'm very surprised no one chose Rogers, and I guess he's not going to be chosen because I'm not picking him. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, my girl, uh, Regina, because I loved seeing the walk of shame. I loved her reaction to being caught with the walk of shame. That was, I think, my most favorite scene in the episode besides the final one. And I really liked the final one, which featured Regina as well. I liked Regina's talk about hope and happy endings and that the Mills family is in the, you know, the field of heroing. Just to hear Regina say this, it's so night and day from, like, the pilot or even season one and two and maybe a little bit of three. So seeing Regina grown up and a full-fledged hero was beautiful. It made me really proud of the character in this episode. So I'm going to give my MVP to Regina slash Ronnie. All right, it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 apples? The point system is allowed. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden apple. For some reason, I feel like we're going to get a really weird wide range of ratings in this episode. Maybe I'm wrong. 
Maybe I'm right. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out right now. Let's start off with Vinny. <laughs> so, I'm giving it a 3.5 apples. Wow! <laughs> Y'all are so weird with your ratings. <laughs> I mean, I can round it up to 4 because of the last scene with Regina was like a big saving grace. I don't know. I There... Th- there was a lot more that I didn't like and didn't sit well with me as far as pacing, advancement of the story, characters like we've all talked about. Um, and it just, it felt like a very haphazardly written filler episode. Like part of it was like trying really hard to like advance the story, but the way that they were advancing it, like I talked about earlier to me in some cases was like really, really obvious. And in other cases it was just like, it fell flat. Um, I just didn't walk away from this episode with my normal once upon a time immediate reaction to watching it. You know, usually I walk away and even on some of the episodes I've rated lower, um, I still have a sense of like fulfillment. I have a sense of, oh, that's cool. You know, this happened. This is going on. I'm excited to talk about it. The amount of information that I was excited to talk about for the show this week was really, really minimal. Um, I don't know. It it just wasn't one of the best episodes in my mind. And I, I didn't. To be honest with you, it's probably not one that I'll really remember that well, except for one or two scenes. So I'm really harsh, but yeah, I'll give it a four because I did love that ending and I loved the Ivy development, um, but I I don't feel like I can go higher. You've gone lower than a 3.5 slash 4 before? Did I block (laughs) this out because of trauma? No, no. (laughs) This is probably the worst rated episode that I've done. (laughs) Okay, well, there you go. Heather, what about you? Um, I am giving this one a 7.5, so at the complete other end of the spectrum from Vinny. <laughs> uh, um, th- there were some issues with this episode, for sure. Um, like Ahab, uh, whatever Gothel's deal it was, all of that. Um, but I-, I still really liked it. I liked the flashbacks and how they paralleled the present-day stuff. That's something that really harkens back to Season 1. Um, And I I always enjoy when it really does, um, when they parallel so nicely with, like, Hook trying trying to figure out who he is, who he should listen to, and Rogers in the present day figuring out who he is, who he wants to listen to, should he trust Weaver, should he trust Gothel or Eloise, and all that. And also, Wish Rumple pushed that up to the 7.5 as well. Um, I also loved the interplay between Ivy and Jacinda, as well as the team up with Ronnie and Lucy. So I'm going to give it a higher rating. All right. 3.5 slash 4 and 7.5. Jenna Pace, where do you stand? How would you rate this episode? I'm very much with Heather. I'm going to give it a 7.5. I think that there were, there were a lot of really beautiful moments. I mentioned before the duel scene, which was just flawless it's just some of the build-up to that duel scene was very weird and while i loved loved a lot of the aspects of uh, while i loved so many aspects of the flashbacks just some of them particularly i guess the cave scene really with really with rumple ahab and hook that one was very weird because it kind of felt it felt very untrue to the character that i felt they were trying to make with wish hook and then some stuff in Hyperion Heights was just weird, like Tilly not Tilly going back to being very, very off her rocker without without enough of an explanation. And suddenly she's having like these prophetic things. So 
I guess those things ruined it for me. Also, there was a really weird plot hole about, I mean, it could be filled in a little bit later about her, about um, Killian sneaking in to play chess with her before his heart was poisoned, but I guess, but again, that could always be filled in, and plot holes aren't nearly that big of a problem, but I guess because the other problems I got, I'm going to give it a 7.5, but a lot of it, the rest of it was really good, too. Katie, what about you? Um, I think I'm gonna give this one a 7.5 as well. Um, I really, I did enjoy this episode, um, and I'll always enjoy episodes where we get to see Rumple the way that he was, where we get to see Hook, um, where we get to see, you know, just, I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now, where we get to see... Yeah, I can't English. Um, where we get to see scenes like what we saw with Ivy and Jacinda and um, Regina and Lucy. I really like those small moments. They were small parts of the episodes, or of the episode itself, but they were very powerful scenes to watch, and I really did enjoy them. And it shows what this show is about it is about characters who develop and change and um the different relationships that we see throughout the show um it wasn't my favorite episode to date um it really did feel sort of like a filler episode because we did evolve the plot a little bit but not by too much um but it was still a good episode, and it was still entertaining to watch, so I will give it seven and a half apples. All right. And uh, I am actually going to go with the general consensus. I'm going to give it a seven and a half as well. Before the podcast recording, I was actually leaning a little bit closer to an eight, but to be quite honest, seven and a half actually feels about right i didn't fully dislike the episode like i'm a fan of once upon a time so even like the the worst episodes of once upon a time are still in my opinion a little bit better than some of the other stuff on tv just because i love the world i love the characters i love the magic this was just an okay episode so for me a 7.5 which like, let's say I convert that to a letter grade, that would make it about a C. That would make it an average episode for me. Uh, the s- flashback, in my opinion, wasn't necessarily needed. I feel like the only bit of information that we got in the flashback was uh, how uh, they got the Curse of the Poisoned Heart and why Hook ended up uh, turning to a life of alcohol I guess, uh, how he became the drunk that we saw him in the Wish Realm when we saw the Wish Realm Wish realm for the first time. I, that's the only bit that I got, unless Maui's fish hook is going to be some sort of important thing that uh, Gothel has her hands on in the future. Besides that, I didn't really understand why the flashback was needed. I wish that it was uh, utilized for something else, to be quite honest. The present day stuff, for the most part, everything was fine for me, besides Tilly just acting batshit crazy for no reason. Uh, I didn't understand Tilly at all in this episode, 
and I feel like the writers might have just had one goal in this episode, and it was, you know, we need to frame Tilly for murder, so let's just write it in a way that Tilly gets framed for murder, and uh, unfortunately it was written in such a weird way that uh, I just did not care for Tilly in this episode. But the highlights, I did like Jacinda and Ivy together. I like the fact that what ended up happening with Victoria sort of affected Ivy in a uh, unique and interesting and surprising kind of way. I like that it pushed the stepsisters together. I liked Ronnie and Henry's conversations. I liked the ending with uh, Lucy and Regina. So it was an average episode with some really nice moments. So, uh, a seven and a half from me. So, on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Storybook Weekly Mirror. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Mirror. Follow us on Tumblr, storybrookweeklymirror.tumblr.com. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Storybrooke Weekly Mirror and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Night, guys! Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Storybook Weekly Mirror every Tuesday and Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. Our Tuesday show is our episode discussion, and our Wednesday show is our special spoiler edition of Storybook Weekly Mirror. Good night. Good night.